Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Ah, thanks guys. Thank you, thank you. All right, well, uh, how's everyone doing? Good, awesome. Okay, before we get started, um, so I don't know if you guys know, but I, I write books sometimes. Um, and, oh, thanks. Uh, and I hate selling things, but uh, some of my friends and, and uh, spouse uh, have been, have, uh, have told me that the Holy Spirit is telling me to do something else. So, <laughs> Um, we do have some of my books available after the service if you want over there. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, uh, and I did, I uh, wanted to give away a couple of them because I wanted to. So um, this one just came out like in February or, or, or January, I don't remember. Um, and uh, this one, um, uh, I really wanted to just kind of write a, a it's called Secular Sacred Spirit, and I just want to talk about the difference between what we traditionally think of secular work as, as sacred work and how we're actually spiritual beings all the time, wherever we are, no matter what we're doing, and it has divine purpose. And I just wanted to share some stories and some insights about that. Um, and I feel like there is someone in here who you started a business in the last handful of years, and maybe things have been a little bit challenging for the, for the last little while, and you're tr- in kind of this space of deciding, like, what's the next step? What's the next thing that I need to do? If that's you, raise your hand up really high. I feel like there's someone in the, the first hand I saw was Mr. Donaldson's right there. If you'd run up here and grab this for you. Um, yeah. No, there's... Um, there's a, yeah, I'm gonna toss it at you. Hopefully I did not murder you. Okay, there we go. Woo. Um, uh, there's three people, friends of mine who are starting businesses and I uh, connected with them over the course of a year and just saw what was happening in the spirit realm as they were starting their business and developing it and going through the initial challenges that, that went through that. And it's three different stories of, of that. And that's one, one of the chapters in there. Um, next one I wanted to give away is a little bit of an older one, but um, I experienced a lot of um, demonic attack and torment from the age of nine to the age of 12. And so I have a real passion for um, spiritual warfare that's fought from the winning side. <laughs> um, rather than uh, what often happens is we can get in this kind of fear, uh, defeatist sort of, sort of mindset where we're trying to uh, uh, fight against something that Jesus actually already won on the cross. And so this may be a couple of people, but I did feel like there was someone specifically who you've, you've struggled with kind of torment and, and, and attacking thoughts at different points through, throughout your life. And it's really just felt like it's this up and down battle where like it gets better and then it gets worse and it gets better. I say your hand go up right away. So, um, uh, Justin, would you run it back right there to that, to that lovely woman there and just keep your, uh, keep your hand up. Thank you. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the rest of you, if any of that word applied to you, that means you're supposed to go buy a book. It's just, <laughs> oh, sorry, almost threw up. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, it bothers me so much. Anyway, okay, moving on swiftly. Um, so uh, since I, I uh, part of what I do, if you guys didn't know, is I do travel to different churches and have the opportunity to speak and as illustrated moments ago, I do books and things like that sometimes. And one of the very fun things about that is I get contacted by a lot of people. Um, and it's 
really fun uh, to get to run into certain people who you have an opportunity to contribute to to part of their their story with with them and the Lord, you know. And there's this particular set of people that have um, very recently gotten in contact with me that are three completely unconnected stories as far as they're from completely different parts of the country and completely different individuals. But they're three, but they really stood out to me because I have a really uh, deep passion for this people group. Um, they're people who are uh, have been atheists for for each of them. I think it's more than thirty years, um, and uh, who have gotten saved because of completely divine encounters. Where where one of them literally heard the audible voice of the Lord to to start telling him what to do. One person was in a a workout class and heard a voice tell them, hey, go talk to this person in your class. They have something for you. Walked up to the person and said, hey, do you have something for me? And they invited them to church, and they led, led them to the Lord shortly afterwards. And so these, I've always personally just had a real love and passion for, for atheists and atheist communities. And, um, and it's been be- really exciting for me personally to get to talk with these people, to get to uh, you know, contribute to, to them and bless them. And I, as, I, as I've heard their stories, you know, a lot of them, are are struggling with um, integrating into the church because they have decades of a certain ideology, a certain set of values, a certain perspective of looking things. And uh, so one of the, one of these folks had never touched a Bible before this this whole thing happened, and so was only like passingly familiar with with anything that was that was in the Scripture. And so they're you know having this really hard time just kind of integrating and sorting through, and. What's amazing is they're still having these encounters every single time with with the Lord. One, this one person is hearing the audible voice of the Lord two to three times a week, um, mostly encouraging him to stay in church and to stay connected to the body that he's in. And and to me, it's this been this stark reminder. Um, you know, we've been taking this time uh, on Sunday mornings the, the last several weeks to try to re-talk about some of our foundations as a church, as a body, some of the things that are, that are in the foundation, some of the, the duty that's, that's down there, uh, as Steve said. And, 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 the, um, and one of those things that has just been so highlighted to me because of these, exp- uh, these conversations with people is, that, is the power of encounter. Of, of encountering the person of Jesus. Now that word encounter is one, it can be, it can be a little bit of a frou-frou sort of, sort of word. It can be, sound a little bit like, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that feel, you know? Um, but I, I wanna take a little bit of time just to draw a picture of what an encounter is and, and what place it's supposed to have in our, in our walk with the Lord. Does that sound okay to you guys? Awesome. I know that for some of you who have been around for a long time, it's very distracting that I'm wearing a jacket right now, so. <laughs> I know this because I've gotten 10 separate pieces of feedback about <laughs> how I look today. So you're welcome and I'm sorry, depending on where you sit on that. <laughs> it's okay. I'm still wearing Vans though, so we're, we're bounced out. Um, anyway, so I, I, wanna, uh, I don't necessarily uh, wanna take the time to turn to each one of these, but I want you to kind of stick, stick a, uh, make a little note of reviewing these. these. These are all worth reading through slowly, uh, every single one of these, but these are the, the Scripture, especially the Gospels, are basically an account of multiple encounters with Jesus, like of, of people encountering the person of Jesus, of people in experiencing a moment of running in to Jesus and having something change or shift in their life. So really, there are uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of stories we could pick here, but these are the ones that I picked. Um, 
The first one that stuck out to me is kind of one of the, the, the classic um, pictures of encounter. It's one that we pray for, for uh, a lot of different people. It's, it's, uh, it's actually in Acts 9, and this is the story of Paul, or at that point, Saul. Saul, who was uh, a guy who was actively persecuting the, the rising Christ, Christian church, who was, in fact, seeking legal permission to be able to more effectively um, persecute and course in his view squash this this thing that he saw as harmful and and dangerous um and so Saul again we it's worth kind of reading through every detail of the story here but Saul is is riding down the road and there's a bright flash of light it's so bright that it knocks him off of his of his mount he he falls down and he hears this voice and he sees this this person of Jesus and even the people around him could not see what he was seeing but they could hear this sound they could hear this voice of Jesus saying to him why are you persecuting me why are you persecuting me? And he's struck blind. You guys familiar with the story? He's struck blind. He cannot see anything. He's, he's led in, into, into the town. And then another man of God hears the voice of the Lord and says, hey, I want you to go see this guy. And he's like, yeah, I know that guy. Are you sure about that? Because <laughs> um, Saul was a well-known persecutor of Christians. And this was, in fact, would have been a dangerous thing to identify yourself as a Christian to, to this man. The Lord uh, clarifies and says, yep, um, this is the Blake Healy version of the scripture, um, in, case you're, in case you're not there. And he goes there, and this man who was a, if not a murderer, it was, he was a person who uh, was conspiring for the murder of Christians. <laughs> you know, a person who was actively, intentionally, purposefully coming against Christianity. And with one encounter with the person of Jesus, his entire trajectory of his life changes. And he goes in a completely different direction. So this is, again, that picture of encountering Jesus. Um, I, I just want to kind of touch on this stuff to try to draw some threads as we connect it. Um, one of the biggest temptations in our age right now is to be tempted into a battle of ideologies. To a battle of ideologies. It is screaming on the internet. It is screaming on your TV. It is screaming in your families, probably. There is a temptation to a battle of ideologies. Whose ideas are the best? Now, it's a challenge because I do think one of the things the Bible presents is ideas. One of the things that scripture does represent is a structure for life, is a structure for how we operate, is a structure for how, how we, we lead ourselves, how, how we lead our children, all, the, all these different things. So there is an ideology in the scripture. However, one of the things I wanna to suggest today, it, it is not the quality of that ideology that brought you into the kingdom. It was an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. It was an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. I do think it is a superior ideology, but that's not what brought Saul into the kingdom. It was not a convincing argument of why Jesus, is, Jesus was the Messiah. It was not a list of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. It was not a, a, an expose on how Jesus was actually fulfilling the law and, and doing all the things that he was in fact doing. It was an encounter with the person of Jesus. Does that make sense? That changed his trajectory and turned him into one of the greatest champions of the gospel in all of human history. 
you know, if you want to just study, it's, it's apparent in scripture, but if you want to study any more of Paul's, Paul's life, the, the impact that that one man had on the history of Christianity is immeasurable, is immeasurable. And it was because of one encounter with the person of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so we love that. We want, we pray that the people that we, that we, uh, uh, don't hate because we're not supposed to hate, but we dislike very much inside of our hearts. Uh, we pray that God will knock them off their donkey. We pray that they'll have uh, an encounter with Jesus, you know, because that's the kind of aggressive prayer we're allowed to pray. Um, <laughs> and that's a great thing. I, there's lots of people. I have a list of, do- of knock off your donkey people. I have, I have a list of people of whom I would like to be knocked off of a donkey, you know, and by Jesus, of course, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's, I, if I'm honest, that's the truth. There's, there's people for whom I, I, and there's honestly for some people for whom I don't see another way. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, get the, get the, where's the, where's, where's the, where's the donkey policy? Anyway, um, when does that card come up? And that's a good thing. But also there's a lot more different kinds of ways that people encounter Jesus, a whole lot. And so, uh, again, we're not going to read through the whole thing, but uh, if you just want to write down John, John 3. Um, this is Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus and Nicodemus, one of my favorite parts of Scripture, one of the most famous parts of Scripture. You got John 3.16 right in the middle of this one. You guys are probably familiar with that one. Um, the, so Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was part of the, the group of people that were really coming against Jesus. And again, a lot of times we can, we can kind of give the Pharisees a bad rap. They're, they're, they're easy to be villains that we kind of beat up on rather than maybe uh, people in the story that we should perhaps be learning from. Um, and... Uh, by learning from their mistakes, I mean, of course. But uh, so you have to understand when Jesus showed up and started, uh, especially getting to the point of performing miracles, declaring that he was the Messiah. This is, imagine a popular preacher. He was a rabbi. He was traveling around teaching, preaching. And this guy, in, in, in your normal view, this would be like a preacher who's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger prominence. And then finally, this person is claiming to be the fulfillment of this powerful ancient prophecy that is at the very center of your ideology, of your belief, of your values, what you teach, what you protect. That is a huge claim, and it's actually not that hard to imagine why the Pharisees were so critical of him. There's lots of reasons that are probably not great reasons, but there's also reasons that are very understandable and relatable to, to what they were going on. I love Nicodemus because he's, he's not in Scripture very much, but the bits that he is just shows a different flavor of what it can look like to encounter Jesus. And I'm just going to read a couple of this, this uh, a couple of verses of this famous conversation. So it's John 3, if you, if you do want to follow along. Um, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's a high-level Pharisee. Um, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So he's, he is engaged. He is, he's not saying he's the Messiah. He's not quite ready maybe to go quite that far, but he's saying, hey, you're clearly coming from God. This, this evidence is that. So he's, he's engaged. He's, he's in. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, we're not necessarily used to this kind of phrase. I, um, I had a Jewish friend who uh, came to one of our youth group uh, times one time, and he was shocked at what we did at youth group. He's like, oh, you, you sing some songs, and then you all sit down and listen to someone talk, and then you leave. <laughs> and he's like, we would, like, argue with him. 
and have a discussion and like try to come at his point from different angles and we would have an open conversation where we would discuss and argue what what the the actual validity of what he was teaching whether he was interpreting the scripture correctly and, and all these kinds of things you know and so this conversation is that happening it is i'm going to kind of give you a picture of what i'm trying to to bring what i'm trying to say well let me counter with trying to clarify so that i can understand what you're saying and it's this kind of back and forth uh this would be kind of the way intellectual conversation would happen in this day and age does that does that make sense to everybody let's kind of draw that picture um so again verse four he says how can someone be born when they are old nicodemus asked surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. <clears throat> How can this be? Nicodemus said, asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you out of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. After that, of course, is the most famous scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so Jesus is laying out the gospel and Nicodemus doesn't respond much or at all in, in the scripture from here. And we only see him two other times in scripture. One other time when Jesus is brought in front of, uh, the subject of Jesus is brought up in front of the Pharisees and Nicodemus, they just want to kill him. And Nicodemus is like, hey, we need a proper trial. Like, this, this guy deserves a trial. You know, we need to go through the proper thing. So, again, kind of on the fence. Maybe not necessarily, hey, this is the Messiah. Um, but, but he's defending Jesus, and he's wanting him to have fair treatment. So, again, this kind of, the theme, at least to me, is this intellectual uh, understanding of Jesus and wanting to understand his, his theology, his teaching, what he's trying to bring. But he has this openness towards him. Um, and the final uh, time Nicodemus shows up in Scripture is at the end of John uh, when uh, Joseph of Marathia collects Jesus' body and takes him to be buried. And Nicodemus brings uh, some herbs and some, and some oils and spices to help with the bearing of Jesus. Now, if you look at what he brought, it was actually worth quite a bit of money. It would have been a very significant amount of money he contributed to Jesus' burial. And that's all that we see of him. We don't really know where his heart was or what his process was in this story. But we also know that he experienced and saw enough that he was willing to contribute a huge amount of money to the burial of Jesus after he was crucified. And, you know, you can watch The Chosen and see that version of it as well if you want to. <laughs> I think it's fun. It's good. Um, <laughs> but, again... We don't know the full end of this story. This is the beginning and end. Those, those three encounters are what we know about Nicodemus. Yet we can see someone who experienced Jesus on this intellectual level that wanted to understand what he was getting at, wasn't being, as the Pharisees often were, intellectually trying to dis, uh, take apart what Jesus was doing, but instead someone who wanted to understand, but just couldn't quite yet, and was pushing through that level. 
We can encounter Jesus when he knocks us off our donkey, but we can also encounter him on an intellectual level. He's available. He, he wants to engage in that space. He wants to have challenging questions and have those discussions and work it out together. One, sometimes in a very faith-oriented environment, we can treat questions or concerns as something that's harmful, when in fact, I believe it's something that Jesus would have wanted us to engage in, especially with the kind of open heart that Nicodemus displayed in this story. Does that make sense? So another story, another one of my favorites um, at the end of John um, is in John 20. And this is uh, Thomas, or as we have so rudely marketed him as, uh, Doubting Thomas. Boy, you doubt one time in the Bible and you are just doubting promise for thousands of years afterwards. I'm like, oh, hopefully he gets like, you know, an extra jewel in the crown every time someone says that, you know, gets a royalty on that. I don't know how that works in heaven, but... Man, doubting Thomas forever. He doubted for 10 minutes. Anyway, um, sorry. So Jesus had died. Jesus had come back. Jesus had appeared to all the disciples. Thomas had not been there that day. So we get to chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, quick pause here. We usually, at least in the churches that I've grown up in, use this example as a, as a negative of Thomas should have just believed. And uh, this is, of course, evidenced by the fact that he does see Jesus later and Jesus corrects him saying, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Um, but I want to suggest a different framing for a second. Because verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. By the way, the doors were locked because they were terrified that they were going to get murdered by the Jewish leaders at this time. Because, again, in, in their experience, Jesus had just been killed. The dream was over. And they were just trying to figure out what to do and how to survive after this point. So that's why the door was locked, by the way. It says that in the previous section. Um, uh, um uh, a week later, uh, yeah, so Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you, which I like to think of as surprise. Um, <laughs> then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Again, it is a bit dangerous, I think to see a moment where Jesus brings correction and receive it as, oh, I never want to make that mistake. <laughs> Rather than recognizing, wow, Thomas said what he needed and Jesus gave him what he needed. He met him where he was at. He said, hey, here I am. Touch, touch, my, touch the holes in my hand. Put your hand in my side. I'm here, I'm meeting you. Yes, uh, it's blessed if you can believe without seeing but hey, here I am. You know, his, his actions speak that of attachment and connection and, and value. And, and in that attachment, connection, and value, it's, you're able to bring correction that is connected and, and attached rather than a, you didn't perform well enough, so therefore I have to do, imp uh, prove myself to you with this miracle. Does that, does that make sense? There's a difference in values, a difference in perspective there that's important. Don't want to go on the whole thing, but Thomas doesn't show up too much in Scripture either. But almost every single time, he is uh, one of the other times when Jesus says, hey, I'm going to be leaving you guys soon. Thomas 
speaks up and gets very scared and says, hey, where are you going? Don't, don't leave us. I, where are you going? I don't, I don't want to be without you. And again, we don't get a huge picture of who he is, but it also speaks of a person who was crushed when his savior died in his perspective, who was scared even of the idea of him leaving and going somewhere else. And so maybe in, the, in that picture, we can be a little bit more uh, empathetic towards Thomas rather than having to call him Doubting Thomas all the time. Does that make sense? Because honestly, it does sound like he doubted for like a week, you know, at, at, at the longest. So one week of doubting and you're Doubting Thomas forever. Anyway, <laughs> um, so there's so many of these kinds of encounters. There's the woman at the well. There's, there's Peter had several encounters with Jesus of different kinds, you know, uh, often ones that involve similar types of correction. Um, and every single time we see this transformative power, this transformative picture of, of what it is to encounter, to experience Jesus. And that is all that an encounter is. It is a moment where you experience the reality of Jesus. That's what an encounter is. Sometimes that's a moment that happens in worship. Sometimes it's more dramatic like it is with Paul where there's a bright light and, and you get knocked to the floor or, or whatever else. And maybe it's something that you see that no other people uh, don't see. Maybe it's just a moment in worship when you were a child, when you knew that God loved you. Whatever it is, these, these are the things that invite people into the kingdom over and over and over again. It's not... The, the, the quality of the ideology, even though that quality is there, it's an encounter with the person of Jesus. Does that make sense? So I, I, want, I want to share two quick stories from, from my life, and then we'll, we'll uh, close out from there. But um, So I grew up in the church. I, I grew up going, going to church. My parents got saved shortly after I was born, and I, I've been going to church for as long as I can remember. And I um I was a missionary kid as well. We moved around, and so my my whole life was centered around the church and around Jesus. I was a missionary kid, a pastor's kid, and 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 everything else. And by the time I started getting uh, fourteen and fifteen years old, I started getting older. I started um, reading more. I've always been a voracious reader, and and loved learning and knowledge and, and understanding. And as as my knowledge and my learning started expanding and getting wider, and as I started um, digesting information from wider and wider places, I began seeing uh, some challenging gaps in the things that I had accepted within the realm of Christianity. You know, things that uh, that I just had questions about, that I was confused by, that didn't make sense in my in my expanding view of the world. Now, the hard thing was, was when I brought those questions up to people, um, it was instantly easy to see that it absolutely terrified them. And, and I uh, experienced a very um, uh, kind of hurry up and put that fire out sort of uh, attitude that made me very, very quickly stop asking questions of people in the church. Um, and so as I went on this journey of, of realizing I, have, I've, I was born into this, I had this given to me. Now, my parents weren't really super controlling or anything, so I didn't feel like it was imposed on me, but it was given to me. It was put in my hands. And I, I didn't really doubt that God was real or that Jesus was real, but I did want to decide if I wanted to believe it for myself. And so part of that process was me choosing not to believe anything that I had been given to believe. From, from a young age. And I can already feel some of the fears rising in the room just a little bit. Um, so it's okay. I wore the suit jacket, so you don't have to be scared. Um, 
<laughs> um, and I read all kinds of stuff. I read books you wouldn't want me to read. I read the atheist books. I read, I read the, the, the Buddhist books. I read the nihilist books. I, I, read, I read all kinds of books. And I, and I learned and read and thought and questioned. And uh, the, the, you know, the hot term these days is deconstructed. You know, We didn't have Instagram back when I was a kid, so we just called it uh, <laughs> doubting. But anyway, um, the... <laughs> That was a. I can. I am attuning with you while making fun, just a little bit at the same time. Um, and and I, I don't really want to focus on this, but I do. I do think. Um, I, I do want to give the feedback to to all the parents in the room, including including myself, that the most, the best thing you can possibly be if someone's in that process is safe. And if and if you can't be that, then you're going to have to grab hold of Jesus and figure out how to be because any, any other option will only drive people away because, because as you're about to find out in this story, it's not an ideology that's going to convince anyone, even someone who's grown up with this, that it is an encounter with the person of Jesus. And one of the challenges of that is you are not in control of that. <laughs> Just let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I didn't, I, I kept going to church. I kept doing all the things that I, that I did. I didn't really, I didn't start doing heroin or anything exciting like that, you know. Uh, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I, I'm a slow processor anyway, and so I didn't really change my lifestyle much at all, but I considered everything, you know. And, and, um, and you know, hey, I am a leader in a church now, so I think you maybe know how the story ends, unless you're really nervous, but, um, but, there wasn't one moment that changed my mind. Um, and there are struggles that I have with inconsistencies in the ideology that I was brought up with that I still wrestle with to this day. However, when I was 15, something happened that, that um, wasn't the singular thing that, that changed my trajectory, but was something that, that absolutely um, started me on a journey that I'm still on today. And uh, it's a story that's familiar to anyone who's been around for a while, but I want to share it one more time. Um, I went on, we went on a missions trip as a youth group, and again, I was still sort of in duty mode, so I was going, going along with, uh, with, with uh, all, all that stuff. And so we went to this mission trip. We went to Europe to do ministry, and um, our pa youth pastor used to always put something kind of fun or relaxing at the end of each trip. And so there was this big youth conference that was going on just outside of London, and so we went to that uh, in the days before we... Uh, we're going to fly back to the United States. And it's this big youth conference being held in this uh, this big cattle field and a, a double-decker stadium seating cattle auction house. And there were so many kids going to this thing that there wasn't room in the local hotels. And so they had set up campsites all in the cattle field, which is a little bit disgusting in retrospect. But um, I was 15, so it seemed fine. Um, and so flash forward to the last session, last last night of the conference, we're going to be flying out the next day, so we're tired. We're in the upper kind of back of the row of the upper deck of the, of the stadium seating. And <clears throat> I'm um, listening, listening to the preacher preach. And again, I, I grew up in church. I've heard a lot of preaching uh, even at that time, and I've heard even more since. And, um, and so I could tell by the tone, by the pentameter, by the structure of the story that, that was being told that he was about to do an altar call to invite people up to receive Jesus for the first time. And... I had seen and heard many of those, and at this point in my life, I was still deciding if I believed in all those things. And so 
um, I decided the best thing for me to do at this particular point was to take a quick nap. And so I, uh, I folded my arms and leaned back and put my feet up on the empty chair in, in front of me. And for no particular uh, reason, there was no, no, nothing that the preacher said that, that drew me or anything, but I, I looked up one more time and uh, I saw Jesus, uh, which made me sit back up. Uh, the preacher was on the stage and Jesus was in the margin between the stage and the chairs, uh, pacing back and forth. And I noticed that whenever he would turn to, to go back in the other direction, he would keep his gaze fixed at a point somewhere at the back of the room. And, and he was walking with this intensity and this intentionality. He wasn't anxious, but it, there was an intensity to it. And so I followed his, his line of sight to this girl that was at the back of the room. She was sitting at the front of where the stadium seating started, and there was this divider that was there, and she was sitting with her head uh, leaned up against the divider like this. And immediately I heard a voice say, as soon as I saw this girl, he sees no one but her. <clears throat> and again, I just watched as he paced with this intensity, this purposefulness, this, this uh, fixation. And then it was like every one of my senses was being drawn in by the intensity of, of the way he was, he was walking. And so it felt like all my other senses were fading down. And so it was, it was distantly that I heard the preacher start to invite people up to the front to receive Jesus for the first time. And as soon as I heard that, though, I, my eyes snapped to the girl immediately. And I saw her just for the briefest moment. She had her head down like this, and then she just glanced up. Now, as soon as she did, I saw chains appear all around her, covering her from the top of her, her neck all the way down to the bottom of her ankles and going off in four long strands. At the end of each was a demon. And the demons uh, uh, were just kind of pulling and twisting on the chains. But as, you know, as soon as the girl lifted her eyes, it didn't take him any time to get there, even though I saw him move. Jesus was pacing at the front, and then he was standing right there in front of her. <clears throat> and again, as her eyes were up, he, the demons kind of pulled and twisted the chains in such a way that caused the girl to slump back down with her head on the divider. Uh, but that didn't really matter because Jesus leaned forward and he, and he kissed her on the forehead. And as soon as he kissed her on the forehead, every single link in the chain exploded like, like firecrackers. The demons kind of flew back from the loss of tension. <laughs> they didn't really make that sound. <laughs> um, and as the last link in the chain broke, there was this bright flash of white light. It was so bright that I, I couldn't see anything. It completely blinded me. And my, my vision slowly faded back in. And when it did, I couldn't see the stadium, I couldn't see the chairs. I looked down and I couldn't even see myself. All I could see was Jesus and the girl. And Jesus was standing with his arms open wide and the girl was standing and now she was wearing, she'd been wearing normal, you know, uh, popular teenage clothes before. And now she was wearing, and, and even though this is something of a Christian cliche, she was wearing these robes that were whiter than white, the, the whitest thing I've ever seen before or since. And as she stood there, she, she leaned in, she hugged Jesus around the waist. 
and I suddenly felt like I was imposing. And I was like, I don't know where the exit is in this thing. Because <laughs> it felt like intimate, you know. But all of a sudden I looked up and I saw this big hand coming down out of the, out of the nothingness. It was big. Each, each finger was about as big around as a baseball bat. And I saw with his finger extended, this, this hand came down and touched me on the forehead. And as soon as it touched my forehead, all of reality snapped back into place. I found myself standing. I'm not entirely sure when that happened. And the, the, the snap back to reality was so sudden that I stumbled backwards and fell into my chair. And I, I sat there for a moment feeling shell-shocked, feeling like I'd been run over. And then kind of got my wits about me just in time to lean up to see the girl running up to the front to receive Jesus. <laughs> Even though she already had. <clears throat> and so that was cool. That, uh, in case you didn't know, just, <laughs> that was an awesome thing to see. But what changed the way that I was going on the journey that I was going was what happened right afterwards. So just to give a, a touch more background, when, I, when we moved to this church that we had been going to for the last, from the age of 12 to the age of 15, I started doing prophetic ministry and taking these prophetic classes and, and something I took to very naturally as did my mom. And so it, it was something I'd been growing in. So I'd been, you know, learning about hearing God's voice and doing that stuff in the midst of this whole uh, exciting internal journey. And, um, and so uh, that was part of what I was struggling with was like, I, all this could easily just be ginned up by my own head. You know, I could just be thinking this stuff. I have an entire history of Jesus' thoughts in my mind. You know, it, it could easily be a delusion or a self-delusion that I'm, that I'm dealing with, you know. And even though I saw that, it would have been easy to argue the same thing once again because I already had all that kind of information in my head. You know, it doesn't, to me, it didn't ideologically prove anything. <clears throat> and so I'm sitting there, uh, not quite processing all that just yet, just feeling like a truck had backed over me. Um, and then all of a sudden, everyone around me stands up and starts walking out. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'm like, oh, I guess it ended at some point. <laughs> um, and they start walking out. Now, I'm pretty good at getting lost in my own neighborhood in broad daylight. So I was not entirely confident in my ability to make it back to the uh, tent that I was staying at with my youth group. And so I jumped up real quick, looked around. I saw one of the girls from my youth group. I'm like, okay, if I kind of, because there's 3,000 kids leaving this thing at the same time, you know. And so I'm like, all right, if I follow her, I'm not going to get too terribly lost, you know. So I'm following. I'm trudging through this crowd, still feeling shaky and just focusing on this girl. Now, I knew this girl. We weren't best friends or anything, but I... I I knew her decently well, but as I focused on her with the, with the experience of what I had seen still sitting both like hot and numb in the back of my mind, I looked at this girl and I saw everything that there was to know about her life. I saw every decision that she had ever made. I saw every moment of joy, every moment of peace, every moment of fear, and every moment of pain. I saw them one after the other, pop, 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 pop. Not like it was a movie, not like it was a slideshow, but like they were memories that I had. Like I had known this girl my entire life and been intimately involved in every single part of it. Like she was my best friend or my sister or my daughter or something like that because they weren't just memories, but they had emotion attached to every single one of them. I felt them as if it was someone I was deeply close to. And then I saw her entire future. I saw all the choices that were available to her. I saw all the choices that she could make. I saw all the choices that she would actually make. I saw the perfect plan that the Holy Spirit had laid out for her life. And I saw the parts of it that she would choose and the parts of it that she wouldn't choose. 
And all of this just swirled and congealed together. And as this, this series of back and forth uh, uh, feelings kept on oscillating around through me, it, it it's, uh, swirled and congealed into this overwhelming feeling of love for this girl. Uh, a love that was so complete, that was so big, that was so whole that I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. My brain, it couldn't fit in my brain all at once, and it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it became so intense that I had to literally pull myself away from looking at her and look in a different direction because I felt like my head was going to explode. When I turned away, I saw someone walking next to me who I'd never met before. And even though I'd never met this person in my life, the second I looked at them, I saw everything there was to know about his life. I saw every decision that he had ever made, every decision that he would make. I saw the fullness of his potential and how far he was going to make it along that line of potential. And again, I fell totally and completely in love with this person that I had never met before. But then I, so, so intensely, so painfully that I had to pull away and look in a different direction. But then I saw another person and saw everything there was to know about their life. I saw another person and saw everything there was to know about their life. And unfortunately, as I mentioned, I'm in a very large crowd. So I'm there ping-ponging from person to person, it happening faster and faster. The, the, the rate at which this is happening, uh, uh, getting more and more intense. And again, I describe it as a feeling of love, but it was more than that. I wanted, I, I, it wasn't an idle thing. I wanted to do something. I wanted to hug them. I wanted to kiss them. I wanted to pray for them. I wanted to prophesy over them. I wanted to grab them and, and scream how much God loved them. I wanted to pick them up in the air and spin them around. But anything that I thought to do in response to this love was so painfully and woefully inadequate compared to that love that it would have, been, that it would have felt offensive to do something so small in the midst of something so big. Uh, so finally, I got a bright idea and looked straight at the ground. <laughs> I felt like a genius. <laughs> and so I'm walking through a crowd of 3,000 people staring at my feet when, not kidding, someone's foot kicks out in front of me, and I see everything there is to know about their life. I see every decision they've ever made. I see the fullness of their potential and how far they're going to make it along that line of potential. And I fall completely and totally in love with that person before I see their face. And so finally, I <clears throat> made it back to my tent <laughs> and fell down face first to my pillow. And thank God when I woke up the next day, it was, it was gone because I don't know how it would have functioned otherwise. Now, as intense and profound as that encounter was, I can honestly say it did nothing ideologically to convince me that the things that I had learned as a child were correct. But what it did do is reveal a goodness, a kindness, a glory that was so much bigger than anything I had experienced before, that, that, that was so much more profound, that, that I realized was only hinted at by everything that I had learned, that I was willing to do anything to pursue that and to serve that and to follow that to the very ends of the earth. And so instead of trying to take apart something that I wasn't sure about, I was instead trying to put together, who was that that I ran into today? <laughs> who was that that I ran into today? And how do I follow him? 
And yeah, that doesn't answer some of the questions that I still have today about how the church should be, about how we follow Jesus rightly and well. But it does set my compass in a direction. And I don't know what could possibly take it away from that. Because I still read a lot of ideologies and a lot of thoughts, and nothing has compared to the encounter that I had with the person of Jesus. And so whether you're wanting to see more of God in your life, whether there's someone you desperately want to see God in your life, you have to know that they have to have an encounter with the person of Jesus. And it is hard because you're not in control of that. You can't hit the knock them off their donkey button. There isn't one. I've looked. <laughs> and you can't convince them with ideology. It... it uh, Maybe this is going too far into this, but it seems apparent that God has designed this journey in such a way that he wants it to be a journey of faith. That will mean that it will always be impossible to prove who he is, but it will always be available to experience who he is. And if we get into a battle of ideologies, we are tempting ourselves outside of the realm of the design of the gospel, as I see it and have experienced it. Now, one thing you can do, because it sucks to be powerless. <laughs> it's a good t-shirt. <laughs> sucks to be powerless. Anyway, um, <laughs> is you can become an encounter. You can continue to pursue that Jesus after you've encountered him. You can actually start looking like him the more that you see him. You can be that person who is in the right place at the right time to say, and when someone walks up to you and says, hey, do you have something for me? And you can say, yes, I do. I know him very well. I know him very well. And if you're in that journey or your uh, uh, friends or family or children are in that journey of picking things apart, of, 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 of digging through this, this challenging stuff, yeah. again, the only thing that is going to lead them back is an encounter with the person of Jesus. And the only way that you can meaningfully contribute to that is to have your own encounter with the person of Jesus again and again and again and again. Yeah. Go and study all the times. Pick a person. Pick Peter. Pick Thomas. Pick, pick anyone and see how they encountered Jesus. Look at how many times Peter gets corrected by, by Jesus and how he becomes more like him each time. How, that, how, how Jesus leads him to become the man that, that, that is, that's one of the rocks that he builds his church upon. How, 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 how even if you don't see too many of the encounters that Paul continued to have with Jesus, how you see the fruit of these encounters over and over and over again. Look at what happened there and look back at your own life and find those encounters and stir them up again. All right, we're getting uh, close to overtime here. So if anyone wants to stand up real quick, I want to pray for you guys. Um, I'm going to pray for three different groups of people right now. And if you're part of multiple ones, then that's great. But either way, I just want you to receive or, or pray for those who need to receive these, these parts. 
First, Lord, I want to just pray for anyone in here who lives in the encounter, who, who already lives out of the encounter that they've had with Jesus and has them on a regular basis, Lord. I just say more in Jesus' name. More in Jesus' name, Lord. We want to see you more. We need you more. There is more of you yet still for us to see, and we want to see it, Lord. We want to adhere ourselves to you. We want to attach ourselves to you more. We want to see that goodness one more time. We want to see that glory one more time. We want to see something that is bigger than us, that's bigger than we ever will be. Lord, we want to feel small in your presence. We want to feel small in the palm of your hand and see the goodness, the glory, and the power, and the holiness of who you are, Lord. And let us remain ever desperate for more of who you are, Father. For anyone in here who's dry, who has encounters in their past, who has a history in their past, but it's been a long time since they've had that overwhelming experience with your glory, Lord. I just say that place is your home and you are welcome back to it anytime you want. That you have never been rejected, you have never been left behind, that yes, there may have been pieces of your story or pieces of your experience that have left you feeling disconnected or disassociated or distant from the Lord, but I just say that he has never once left your side and he is ready to encounter you today day, tomorrow, the next day, and forever, all the way into eternity. And so I just release encounters with anyone who is run dry, with anyone who only has old stories of encountering Jesus and say that there is a fresh encounter for you with him today. And lastly, I pray for anyone who has not encountered Jesus yet, who maybe has been following Jesus, who has been chasing after him, who has been adhering to, to the tenets of this, of this belief system, who has learned this ideology and is following that, Lord, that anyone who has been operating solely out of duty, Lord, that they would have an encounter with your presence, an encounter with your glory, an encounter with your love, Lord, that they would experience the reality of who you are. And Lord, we welcome it. We welcome it if it's as simple and logical as the conversation that you had with Nicodemus. We welcome it if you knock us off our donkey. We welcome it if, if, if it is an experience of our doubt meeting your presence, Lord. We welcome it as you see fit, as, as you want to respond to who we are, Lord. And we recognize with humility the need that we have to encounter you in your presence. Lastly, Lord, I pray for anyone who is connected to someone who has fallen away from you, Lord, or has yet to meet you, Lord. We just release encounters in Jesus' name. Experiences with the person of Jesus, Lord. Experiences with the person of Jesus. They would run into the reality of you, Lord. We repent for any way, any way that we have uh, been tempted to engage in a war of ideology, to, to beat people over the head with the ideology of, of our faith, rather than releasing an encounter with the person of Jesus, Lord. And we ask, we don't engage that idea with shame. We instead engage it with as an opportunity to start to become an encounter for the people around us. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.